friends of the show, and welcome back to Ride Buddies, a podcast that brings you conversations between some of cycling's most interesting, knowledgeable, and entertaining personalities. There's no host, no rigid structure, just great conversation. All right, episode three, two truly incredible and inspiring women. You'll hear from Rebecca Rush, dubbed the Queen of Pain, which we gotta say, talk about a power nickname. You'll also hear from highly decorated paracyclist Megan Fisher. These two women have spent their careers completely redefining what people are capable of. Together they share a lengthy list of world titles, Paralympic medals, Guinness World Records, and even an Emmy Award. Rebecca and Meg talk about overcoming obstacles, finding strength in the struggle, winning races in order to pay for groceries and keep their health insurance, crushing a male ego or two, and of course, Betsy the Wonder Dog. It's the type of conversation that only these two could have, and it's very much worth a listen. So saddle up and tune in, you're in for a great ride. And if you're enjoying Ride Buddies, don't forget to subscribe. Hi. <laughs> How's Idaho? Uh, Idaho's great. How's Montana? <laughs> um, it's good. It smells a bit like a campfire, but um, we have mostly clear skies. So yeah. uh, it's pretty cool to meet you so seamlessly. Um, we're in the same time zone, but uh, mountains between us. Yeah, exactly. And it's actually cool. We've never, so for those listening, Meg and I know each other. We run in the same circles, similar circles, but we've never sat down and had a conversation like this. So what a pleasure. Thank you. Oh, it's, I think the pleasure is all mine. Um, I, yeah, I've followed your career. I think a lot of people, again, listening will say that you've influenced them. And so to get to sit here and be like, and ask you questions and it's pretty darn awesome. It's cool. Yeah. And of course we met at a bike event. Um, like all good friendships that happen is we met at Rebecca's private Idaho when you came for the first year, which was, I don't know, what, four years ago, 18, yeah, I think 20, 2017 or 18. Yeah. Awesome. And yeah, you've, you've been back ever since. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to riding with you again in a few weeks here. Definitely. Yeah. I, I think we chatted for a brief minute on one of the SRAM ambassador calls. Uh, that, yep. was, I, that was one of the things that I looked forward to each week during COVID is when all the, the SRAMily would come together. And yeah. uh, thank goodness for media like Zoom. Yeah, exactly. So, um, well, I guess that we're supposed to do rapid fire questions. So do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Ready? Um, yes, I'm ready. I guess I love how she's just like, I'm going first. Okay. Ready? <laughs> I'm ready. Hesitation is elimination. Okay. Right. Um, so, uh, French fries or tater tots? Tots. White water or gravel? Gravel. Why not white water? Oh, that's a conversation. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, uh, Snow or pavement? Snow. Ooh. Um, single track or gravel road? Single track. Suspension, no suspension? Suspension. Dog or cat? Dog. Healer or no dog? Like Healer. is it a cow dog or no dog at all? Are you so dedicated to your cow breed that you're mutts. like- Mutts, I love mutts. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Those are good ones. Um, and I, I, I'm going to start with, uh, I'm going to steal some of yours. Um, dog or cat dog. Ooh, that was tough. All right. Farm or city farm farm. Okay. Thick or thin crust 
thick crust, Chicago. <laughs> Chicago. <laughs> Favorite metal? Gold. Okay. <laughs> Who taught you to ride? My mom. Favorite Goo Roctane flavor? Jet, um, Jet Blackberry. Mm, your motto? We're all more capable than we know. And your color? Blue. And the name of your bike? <laughs> Pinky. All right. Woo. Okay. I feel like I know a lot more about you already. And I, I kind of, I'm going to jump into the questions because I actually, there's a really cool, I did a little research on you, which is kind of amazing. It was kind of fun to look at your billions of medals. And yeah, of course you like golds because you have a lot of them. And I mean, five Paralympic medals, um, just like the list goes on. The list is like so long. It was pretty cool, but I was really intrigued by a story, um, about Betsy and your dog, Betsy, I know, and how, um, you found cycling through your dog, Betsy. So I want to know a little bit more about that story because I, I feel like dogs are sort of, they know what we, they're more intuitive perhaps than we are. And I feel like there's like the Tao of dog and, you know, like what would diesel do is like, he'd go out and play or he'd take a nap or, you know, um, and so I want to hear about Betsy and you learning to ride from your dog. Well, I think our love for cattle dogs, um, <laughs> another thing we might have in common. Um, so I was hurt in 2002 and, um, during that process of recovery, I was paired with a service dog. Um, this is, and that was Betsy, the wonder dog. Um, and initially Betsy did a lot of things for me, like, um, yeah, like tasks that you might associate with service dogs. But then, um, I think anybody who has a dog or an animal that they love will say like, it's the intangible things and it's the other things that they do for us that change our lives so positively. And that's what Betsy did. Um, she was just a, she was a dog and had limitless energy. And there was no way for me to walk enough for her and, you know, playing fetch is fun, but I, I saw people mountain biking around Missoula and I was like, well, maybe, maybe I can do that. And um, they're mountain biking with their dogs. And so I thought that would be the way to channel her energy into something that was fun and healthy for both of us. And that that's really the reason I got to biking. Um, and at first Betsy was way more fit than me and would be up the trail and I'd be like having to stop or walk up a hill. And um, she was patient, uh, always, uh, always willing to go, always eager. And that's the best adventure buddy. Um, so Betsy changed my life uh, again and again in positive. Uh, so, I mean, I love that story that she basically got you out on a bike and taught yeah. you to ride and you got faster so you could keep up with her. And like, so how was it? Like, did anyone teach you? Did you find friends or like, how did you, you're just like, I'm just going to buy a bike and figure it out on my own. Uh, mostly that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think it, we, it's always hard to ask for help. Um, and I, I went from being a capable, um, well, very able-bodied um, collegiate tennis player and yeah. then going from uh, that to laying in a hospital bed, being told you never walk again. And so I at first didn't want to be known as having an impairment. I wanted to wear pants all the time. Um, I didn't want to walk with a limp. I didn't want to know anything about adaptive sports. I just wanted to be as good as 
the people who are here. And at that time, Lindsay Corbin, she's uh, the US's top Ironman triathlete, lived here and some other pro triathletes and pro cyclists. Um, Andy Schultz is also, or Sam Schultz is, well, Andy's his brother, but Sam Schultz, the Olympian lives here. And I just wanted to keep up with the people that I admired. And so um, I just thought I'm just, you know, stubbornness, it'll get me somewhere. And it did. Um, and I ended up making a community because of that. But more of the question is, I didn't want to be last. I didn't want people waiting for me. Mm-hmm. That's still the case. So um, Betsy, I, I was okay making Betsy work for me. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. And you're so not last. I mean, I don't know, you learned to ride and then you just really, it sounds like the sport just really took off for you and you just took your, your tennis athletics and just transferred it over to another sport and frigging continue to crush it, you know, in, in road cycling and cycling and now gravel. I mean, so many medals, so many things. And, you know, with the team USA, I'm like, what's it like, you know, right coming off the Olympics, I'm sure everyone's been watching Olympics. It's so motivating. So what's it like to wear a team USA Jersey and to like put the start, put that on and walk in and compete. You can you explain that? I mean, you have a few national and world championships under your belt. You know what it's like to hear the national anthem. But um, I think a, a lot of people can resonate with that. Like we're kiddos and we watch the games and we're like, oh, I'm going to be in the next like Bonnie Blair or Flojo or, um, you know, people are looking like I'm going to be Simone Biles now or, um, you know, on and on. People can aspire um, to that level of well, athleticism or joy or fun, all of those things. And so um, I wanted to be Bonnie Blair. Um, mm-hmm. but then I wanted to be uh, Martina Hingis, you know, tennis. <laughs> But um, that was not the case for me. You know, as soon as you get to college, you kind of realize like, I'm not as good as I thought I was. Uh. (laughs) You know, the ship has sailed. Um, And then at Hurt at 19, while I was in college, uh, again, I still wasn't in a position to, you know, pursue uh, Paralympic sport. I was actually pursuing my wilderness EMT. And in that avalanche course, I saw a video of Sam Cavanaugh um, who lost his leg in an avalanche south of Missoula, um, outside Bozeman. And he was racing for the U S national team. And so it wasn't until I saw somebody that kind of reflected something similar to me that I was like, Oh, wait, that's, I can do that. Maybe I can try that. And, um, during that time I started racing Xterra triathlon and then I did 24 hour mountain biking racing. And, um, I met Sam at a 24 hour race. It's the one time I beat Sam. I'm not going to let him forget that. I, I, crushed ah. him. I got third <laughs> overall. Okay. I, I ripped the oh, leg of a lot of people, um, but he got me in touch with the national team. Um, and to get to wear the stars and stripes is incredibly humbling. Um, it's just, it's a representation of a lot of things. Uh, you're not, while you might be the only person on the start line or crossing the finish line, it's the representation of all the people who supported you. And I think that I, I can only imagine the team that you've had behind you supporting you and I've uh, gotten to talk a little bit of your support staff. And it's just, it's, it's while, well, you know, you're the one person standing on the podium, you're not alone. Does that weight feel really heavy? You know, knowing that like a whole country is watching your performance and wanting you to do well and cheering for you is, is that different than just, you know, going to a race where you can be somewhat, incognito yeah okay i'll answer this but i have the same question for you because i kind of leading off this like i am motivated by fear and i'm not necessarily proud of that 
Um, and people will have all of their different motivations. Uh, but initially it was fear. Like I just, it can drive you to some pretty deep places. And um, fear I, didn't, what? I didn't fear want to point. Okay. I didn't want to be a failure. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, it almost makes me cry. It's like, I just, I didn't want to disappoint myself. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I just want to be good enough. Mm-hmm. And so I needed to win. Yeah. And, uh, but I don't necessarily feel as much fear anymore. Um, and in many ways, like I think back then, uh, the national team is really hard. Uh, and there's not a lot of money in cycling. I think we'll all know that there's not a lot of resources in women's sport, let alone Paralympic or para or adaptive sport. And we're all fighting for the same resources, the same attention. Um, and so by succeeding, I got to continue pursuing my dream. So I was afraid that if I didn't win, like, oh, well, that stipend that I got from the national team, you know, that goes away or the health insurance. Well, it is really not good health insurance. Uh, <laughs> national team, it goes away. Um, and so, uh, and then also like all the sacrifices that the people were putting, doing for them, doing for me, excuse me. Um, like I would waste them. So those were the, those were the fearful things I, I, I had. And, um, I also believed my, one of my greatest competitors who was from Australia, I envisioned that she was a shark. And so that was a great <laughs> motivation to get up the hill ahead of her is cause that, that great white is coming after me. <laughs> did you visualize her like in your training rides, you're alone, you're in Montana and you're like, did, was she right behind you? hundred percent. Oh yeah. yeah. I think a lot of, like, we always have to think when we're, you, you kind of live in a bubble, like a mountain bubble. I love the bubble that I live in. Um, and a lot of the training that I end up doing is not really fun training that people want to go on. It's not just a ride. Um, and so you have to like get yourself to go out there every day and to do stuff that's uncomfortable. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, if it was uh, like, I thought, you know, her name's Sue, she's tremendously nice. Oh my gosh. Um, but like, I'd, I'd imagine like I had to imagine that she was a horrible person for some reason I needed that in my head and that I needed to beat her every single day. Um, Sue the shark. Did you tell her that you envisioned her as a shark? Oh yeah. And uh, (laughs) she sent me one of her jerseys. And so I have this like after she retired and she's a PhD. She's brilliant. Has two dogs, dog lover. She'd fit right in. She's amazing. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, what motivates you? Like when you go out there, cause like you've been doing this for a couple of years now. So uh, how do you keep the fire lit? Yeah, I think you touched on something really interesting that I, you know, we're all evolving, you know, and hopefully we're lifelong athletes and what motivated me, you know, 20 years ago, um, versus what motivates me now it's different. Um, I'm, I'm not any less motivated, but, but yeah, for sure. There was definitely a period, you know, early on where you're scrapping for every win, because that means hopefully a sponsorship renewal. And, you know, as well as I do, you can have a season where you've won every race you've done you've completed your job to like the highest level possible and still lose a sponsorship. So (laughs) it's not performance doesn't actually equal keeping your job. And, and so there, there was definitely a period of time where it's like, I have 
to win if I want to eat and I want to have health insurance and I want to keep doing what I love doing. And, and there were definitely some pressures, but that has shifted and changed as, as you start to gather medals or you gather accolades, you know, I realized that those are launching pads for other things. And those are springboards. They weren't their own win in its own right. Um, they're springboards to other things. And so, yeah, motivation was, was fear or lack of confidence or lack of personal worth when I was younger. And, and sometimes there's still a little bit of that, but it, now it's more, my motivation is curiosity and exploration. And I really, I want to go somewhere or can I ride the Iditarod trail in Alaska? Like, is it possible? Could I do it? And so a lot of my motivation is, is sort of coming full circle of like, I was, you know, the little kid in, we, we grew up in very similar. I grew up in Downers Grove, Illinois, right next to Hinsdale. I don't know if you knew that. I think I'd heard that once, but I yeah, just... like we grew up like 10 minutes from each other and yeah, 10 minutes. And I, you know, I was that kid in the backyard, like wanted to camp out and wanted to like, like play in the dirt and kind of see what was around the next corner. And I feel like that's more, my motivation is more pure now. And I've gone back to like that kid who just kind of wants to see like, is this mm -hmm. possible? And, you know, I, I am motivated by performances and by goals that I set, but the goal is just you know, I've been reading a lot about motivation. Um, Stephen Kotler has this amazing book called The Art of Impossible. And it's all about the brain chemistry and what actually happens in your brain when you're scared, when you're motivated, when you're whatever, you know, and we all have what I call this motivation menu. Mm -hmm. You've got to have a pretty big menu because mm -hmm. sometimes you're internally motivated. Sometimes you're externally motivated. Sometimes you need both. Sometimes you need a friend to like sign up. Sometimes you need an event to keep you accountable. I love having a coach because it keeps me accountable, but ultimately you've got that whole menu, but ultimately in your heart, you have to want to do what you're doing because it feels good. And because there's something intrinsic in you. And so, so yeah, the motivation menu shifts around. It's not as much now by fear um, yeah. as it is by other things. So that was a long answer. <laughs> I, I love it because um, it kind of like leads into this other question that I've, I've had kind of stewing for you. Like, what is your relationship to pain? Pain. Yeah, that's funny. My nickname is queen of pain. I did not dub myself that. Mm -hmm. Um, and the, the questions really, and like people will say, Oh, you just like to hurt yourself. Like, I don't know. And it's like, no, I, it, what it is, is that, um, really hard things are, are a gateway to, to sort of, to understanding. And for me, working really hard physically using my physical body and, and depleting it is kind of a way that I access my brain and my heart. And, you know, you did 24 hour racing, you know, like the middle of the night at 2am, your body's done. It's done. It's exhausted. You're running on fumes, but you sort of go into a vision quest sort of place, you know, you go to another place when your body is physically really super depleted. And, and so for me, um, pain is a teacher because it's, it's where I go to learn about myself, to find clarity, to understand. And I get the question all the time of like, why do you do these super long, hard things? 
And that is the access point that I've found to understand myself and the world. And I've started calling it dirt Dharma a little bit of like Dharma is sort of like in Eastern philosophy, like your path, your way, like the right way of being. And I, I find my Dharma when I'm on the dirt. And so your rapid fire question of like dirt or pavement, it's like dirt. Um, but yeah, the pain is not because I like to feel pain or I, I want to, to be that, but on the other side of that is actually, um, a doorway into an understanding and something different. And I I'm pretty sure you can relate to that. I think so. So I, um, outside the bike, um, I'm, I have my doctorate in physical therapy. And so there's a huge part of that side of it is working with chronic pain or the neuroscience of pain, pain science is kind of what we call it. Um, and as an, the endurance side of my head, like, yeah, I've really developed this enjoyment and being uncomfortable mm-hmm. and often, uh, find solace in that being like, I can, I can do stuff that's really uncomfortable. Um, often when I, when I raced, uh, in the Paralympics, I would always psych myself up by saying I can, I want it to be hot. I want it to be steep. I want it to be raining. I want it to be cold. I want it to be scary. I want it to be hard because I know that I can go that one inch foot meter mile further into that pain than somebody else. And I often called it like the pain is the reward. Um, because I know as soon as I get there, um, it's what I've been searching for is I, I find it. Um, um, and then, yeah, trying to understand like I don't think that it's like a masochistic quest. Um, No. Yeah. It's not masochistic. And you made a really good point with your work with physical therapy. I mean, we're all going to go through pain in our lives of Mm -hmm. an accident or chronic injury or our our family will die. You know Um, it's just, it's part of life. And my friend Travis Macy, who wrote a book called the endurance mindset um, or the ultra mindset is that, by choosing hard things and, and electively going to that place, we actually learn the tools for when life is going to deal that to us mm-hmm. unchosen. And so I believe that sport is a really great way to, to train our mind to deal with, with the pain and the suffering and the hardship that is inevitably going to come for all of us, but we're more practiced at it. If we go there a little more often on the bike. Yeah. If the, yeah. The wiring, the path is already lit. I a hundred percent agree. Um, yeah, I, I just, I just, I love it. Um, <laughs> I mean, you've done, uh, what unbound formerly known as DK, like you've been there a few times and that's not an easy course. Like, uh, I don't, and I mean, the Iditarod, I mean, we could, I swear like Google Rebecca rush. I mean, the Wikipedia page is concise and your resume is dense. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's really always, um, humbling when like you crushed Leadville um P.S. so my first time to Leadville is this weekend uh what do I do oh you are you're racing Leadville yeah nice have you been on the course before no perfect my first time I'd never seen the course I didn't get there early I didn't acclimatize I had no idea what I was doing um and it went great and I won it so um you'll be fine um I'll give you some tips for Leadville. I mean, obviously it's at, it starts above 10,000 feet. And so it's very unique in that you can't go too hard early on, or you just will never, ever recover and come back from that. 
and, and it's hard to do, but starting a little more conservatively, um, is, is sometimes a good advice there. And I had one guy, it was really funny one year. I, um, I, when I crossed, as soon as I crossed the finish line, this guy who was right behind me, he, and I had won the event again, I won it four times. And I think this was my third win. And I crossed the finish line and he finished right after me. And he said, I gotta ask you, like, why do you start so slowly? And I just looked to him and I said, why do you finish so slowly? Because he was behind me. (laughs) And so, yeah, my advice for Ladville is not to burn all your matches in, in the first half hour. And I've never been in the lead of all four of my wins. I've never been in the lead from the beginning. It it takes till about mile 40, mile 50. um, And there's some massive big climbs. So I'd say not starting too fast. And then also um, focusing on what I call the spaces in between. And so everyone talks about Columbine, you know, power line. You can only climb those as fast as you can climb them. And the extra matches you might burn to get up the hill 30 seconds faster isn't worth it at that that altitude. But on the spaces in between where you can really make up time, and I feel like I've won the races, is in like the rollers and the flats and like pedaling downhill, you know, and, and using the places where most people like get up the hill and then they just want to stop and rest and stop pedaling and be like, Oh my gosh. So, um, the spaces in between, I think is where that race is won, not necessarily on the, the big named climbs. I, I love that. Um, I'm really excited to see where mountain biking goes. Cause this is, I think the first year that Leadville is following your lead by including paracycling as a category. So we are the first, uh, yeah, class of athletes getting into that category. Um, and I think, uh, I don't know if you, you, I hope you do, you recognize how, what your influence on our, our sport, our community has been. Um, and I remember, watching your wins in Leadville and I am going to Leadville in many ways because I, I, I like, Oh, Rebecca rushed it. I want to do it. Um, and I've tried four times. I mean, like there's been a, a couple things, including COVID that got in the way. So this is, I'm really excited. Um, I'm really excited to get to re- represent people of different abilities. Uh, there's going to be, I think eight athletes uh, with physical impairments and, um, so like lifetime is a huge organization and like because of you and uh, me poking them in the side a bunch uh you're changing cycling and you're changing the endurance world the shape the the uh what people see and see and reflect uh, see images of themselves reflected um and so i just uh want to make sure everybody knows how awesome you are if they didn't already i mean meg it's right back at you you're doing the same thing you're showing people what's possible and if i can use my platform at Rebecca's private Idaho or or whatever I do. That's what I said earlier is these medals that I've won. They're not for me. They're not about me. Initially they were for me, but really they're for everybody else or a launch pad for, for me to be good and to use my influence um, so that more people are doing sport because I truly believe if we all did sport, we all rode a bike um, the world would be in in maybe a healthier place, um, individually and collectively. And, and so, yeah, you're the uh, congratulations on getting to Leadville, having a paracycling category there. We're going to have you out at RPI with our first ever paracycling category as well. And I'm just super excited to see the progression and, and you've opened my eyes, you know, the first year that you came to RPI was just like, 
whoa, you know, this is awesome. And how fast you are and how it's just like, like you said, you know, you're just riding a bike like the rest of us and you're riding a bike really fast. And, um, you opened my eyes as well. And I know if I had an accident, like you did, I would want to do the same thing. I would want to have the same opportunities and go shred and ride a bike and go ride trails. And so, yeah, like the fact that it's even taken this long, like, I don't know why it has, but, but you've opened a lot of people's eyes as well, just by being there and showing up with your smiling face and your friggin' fast bike. And like, yeah, you've changed a lot of people's perception of what an athlete is, what an athlete looks like. Um, yeah, it's, it's awesome. So thank you <laughs> right back at you. And I mean, that's what we can hope for. People are like, why do you keep doing this stuff? Why do you do these things? It's because, because I love it, but it also, it changes the world. It helps people. Other people find a bike and then they have a good time and then they're happy. Everybody's happy. Yeah. It's like, it, not everybody has Betsy to teach them to ride Betsy, the wonder dog, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I have come to believe uh, that we're all ca- more capable than we know. And it's not until like those really, hard things that happen in our life, do we recognize how strong and resilient we are? I mean, I think if in the beginning in your career, you're like, am I gonna do the Iditarod? Heck no. But then you keep like building up your repertoire of skills and all of a sudden like it's it's an attainable thing. Um, and I mean, you can think of it in anything. No one thinks that they're gonna survive a breakup. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, sitting here kind of sweating a little bit, thinking about, I've signed up for a lead boat. So there's Leadville on Saturday and, and steamboat gravel on Sunday. And <laughs> like, I don't like, why do I choose these things? But um, I'm going to do the best I can. And if I'm able to cross both finish lines, I mean, Yahtzee, like I'm definitely more capable than I thought I could. Um, I also like to say um, two legs too easy. So um, yeah, yeah, I like that motto, two legs, too easy. It's pretty yeah. awesome. So, well, you're going to be sitting there asking yourself on Saturday, Sunday, why, why do I sign up for these things? Can you answer that? Why, why did you sign up for both of them? It's, it's a bit of, um, proof sounds too, too easy, but it's, um, I like, like you, I choose these hard things because it's, uh, the opportunity for me to kind of go outside myself. Like when I'm riding my bike, those are the times I look forward to most where it's like the most quiet and peaceful where it's just me and my breath and cadence or the rhythm of the, of the gravel, the road, what have you. Um, that is, that is a Zen blissed out place. Um, and when it gets really uncomfortable and hard, uh, I always think, okay, five more seconds, five more seconds, 10 more seconds, 15 more seconds. And um, that was a skill I had when I time trialed. A 20K time trial is incredibly uncomfortable if if you go that far. And if you can like keep that effort and now just spread it out over hundred miles or more. Um, But that same mentality of like, I can do five seconds. I can do five seconds. And that's a very easy thing to keep doing, keep doing, keep doing. Um, I think Lael Wilcox taught me the saying, like, you can always quit later. Yeah. Steve Ween said something really kind of awesome. I heard him give a speech about Leadville and he's like, you can, he's like, and we taught some camps together and he'd always tell the athletes, if you're going to quit, you have to quit at the top of the hill. It's like, because everyone wants to quit at the bottom of the hill. Like, Oh, it's too hard. I can't get up that hill. But once you get to the top, you're kind of like, Oh, 
okay, now I'm at the top. So yeah, like delayed quitting is, is always a good, it's a good strategy. One funny year of Leadville is like, I think it might've been my second or my third win. And I was like super motivated and I'd already won it once before. And like, I thought I was in the lead. I was thought in this lead. And then I'm coming up to, um, you know, crusting the, the last hill you're on the pavement, you're almost done. And I like see in the distance, um, someone in pink kit with like long blonde hair. And I'm like, and all along everybody being like, you're the first woman. And, and you don't really get much info, um, in that event or any endurance events. You kind of like, I think I'm first, I don't know. And then I, I thought I was first and I'm all excited. And I see this pink person and like, I'm just trying to put in this like sprint to catch this person. And I didn't catch them. And I crossed the finish line, like 20 seconds after, and it's a guy in a pink kit with long blonde hair. And I was just like, was, I'd like worked myself up into this whole frenzy because I thought I wasn't in the lead. I was in the lead and then I wasn't in the lead. And so that last like five minutes was like the worst part of the ride ever. And I was so bummed at myself. And anyway, um, so yeah, I, I do like to chase people down too. I think that that's a good one. Having a little rabbit to chase. I also think about too, like I get to be there. I chose to be there. Yeah. You know, the, the pain is temporary. It's super hard right now. And, and I also think somebody told me when I was doing adventure racing, which are long multi-day, like week long races where you don't sleep or anything. Um, he said to me at the start of my first eco challenges, friend of mine, he said, you can run across the hot coals or you can walk across them. Like it's going to hurt either way. So the faster you go, the less amount of time it will hurt. And so I kind of think about it that way too. Oh, I think the same thing, like each pedal stroke, I am that much closer to the finish line, but then, you know, when you get close to the finish line, you're like, oh man, I'm really not ready for this to be done. Can this like, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That is kind of funny. What do you sing in your head? Like what's your, what are your songs that you, your go-tos? Oh, like a nice Kate Perry. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm not going to sing it. You're not going to get me to sing. No, no, no. Like, I don't want you to sing. Yeah. Something <laughs> little online, you know, like, you know, um, I had this mix when I used to race track a lot on the velodrome and that was always like would kind of get me going and get my and so this is still the same soundtrack I listened from 2012 so it makes me sound really old oh but, wow um, like a nice Kate Perry yeah. um uh I, yeah what else that probably is like the fireworks song is something that I can only it makes me smile because it's kind of silly and I'm not necessarily yeah. tell everybody apparently now I do tell everybody as I listen to Kate Perry but um uh that's yeah, that's probably the one that plays on repeat because you know, there's only so many things your mind can think at that time. That's so awesome. So you're, you've got these big gravel goals this year. You've got a few, you've had tons of races this season. What, what else do you, what else is on the kind of horizon for you as far as goals and it doesn't have to be cycling career goals, dog goals, what anything? Oh, that's such a broad question. Um, yeah, like, I, this month is a really heavy uh, bike month uh, with lead boat. And then uh, the following weekend is the last best ride up in Whitefish, Montana, which is like up there. Mm-hmm. Wait, direction? Oh, it's over there, guys. Um, and so pretty excited about that. Um, and then Rebecca's private Idaho. So trying to get rested up and prepared for that because I'm going to do the queen stage race. Um, and then after that, there's some, some time off. Um, 
my puppy, because uh, Betsy had to stop being Betsy yeah. uh, a couple years ago. And so now I have Pax. He's <laughs> another um, rancher's mix called an Idaho shag, homage oh, to Idaho. Wow. Um, and so helping him continue his journey of learning because uh, he'll be going to school to learn how to help me. Because I mean, yes, I can walk now, but I'm, you know, it's never guaranteed. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, like last fall, I had a blood clot where I was on the couch for six weeks. So. Oh, wow. Anyway. Yeah. Like it's, uh, it's a really crazy thing um, to be able to do really big events uh, or big races or big rides to go out my back door. But then um, like, I can't walk in the morning. Um, and I, that will, that can go away anytime. And um, oftentimes walking hurts. And that's why I chose a bike is because biking generally doesn't hurt me. Mm. Standing does. So yeah. uh, it's, yeah, it's, I think why I asked why I do these things is like, yeah, it's to prove how able I am because in a lot of ways I'm, I am impaired. I am disabled. Um, and so it's to yeah, prove to myself and anybody else. Like if, if she can do it, chances are, if you want to do it, you can do it too. Mm -hmm. um, whatever you thought you couldn't do, you probably can. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my goals is to, to really help people through my, like help myself prove to myself just how much I can do help other people learn how much they can do, whether that be through cycling or my um, new clinic as a physical therapist and coach um, and help my dog live the dream. You have a new clinic. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm really excited. <laughs> and it's in, you're in Bozeman, right? Or no, Missoula. Yes. Got it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> how long have you been there? Ooh, close to 20 years. I first came to school in 2021 or tw um, 2001. And then I've been to Seattle a few times. Once for grad school, I worked at UW for a little bit, but I've always come back. Missoula is a, it's got, it's got a bug. Yeah. Why, what pulls you back there? Oh, well, there's a old story that like Missoula is a hub of five valleys. So you can kind of see like up in there guys, right there. It's in the heart of the mountains and so all these mountain valleys come together and um, it's been said that a lot of the energies flow down those valleys and follow the rivers and it brings that into Missoula and it becomes a really healing and a therapeutic place for people um, and you'll find that that people will come here and they get what they need and then they they move on to wherever that is and apparently I still need it um, and it, this has been my home although when I came to RPI the first time I definitely looked at real estate because I was like holy smokes that is a special place of heaven or slice of heaven that you, you live in. Well, it's interesting you say that about the geography, because I was just telling somebody about this yesterday, Idaho, you know, there's a lot of geothermic activity and there, it is kind of the confluence of a bunch of different mountain ranges with, you know, the sawtooth and the boulders and the smokies, and they all sort of converge around Ketchum and around where we are. And so that's really cool. What you say about like probably all the energies there is a lot of energy here and people have asked me the same, like, why are you in Idaho? And it's sort I've never been able to articulate it that well, but I think you're right. There's something special here with, with the energy and the way the earth is formed and you stand in the middle of it and you kind of feel extra energized. So mm -hmm. yeah, I think that there's, there's something to be said about that, how we're, we are connected to places that have a lot of energy from the earth like that. So like you, I saw that you used to race whitewater, like were you a canoeer or a kayaker <laughs> or a boater? Like what kind of boater, I guess? 
I used, I was on the U S women's whitewater rafting team. And I also raced outrigger canoes internationally, um, in the ocean. So, uh, and, and a little bit of kayaking. Um, I did swim well river boarded the grand Canyon, um, with two other women. That was one of my, a really, one of my first really big expeditions I did in the winter. We basically a boogie board, a glorified boogie board and did the grand Canyon on that. It took a month, um, self-supported. So that was, how did you bring your stuff with you? Like you've got a dry bag just kind of floating behind you. We had, we were towing another board that had like all our supplies. And when we get to the rapids, we would line or carry our supply board down, um, to the end of the rapid, then walk back up, run the rapid. And then Julie had also done, um, she'd been burying food caches because she was a grand Canyon guide for, um, many years, like second generation grand Canyon guide. And so she'd been burying these ammo cans, like boxes, um, and had a little treasure map. And so, you know, years later, when we finally got the approval to, to do the expedition, um, she had a map of, you know, just tins of food and some random stuff. She'd forgotten what she'd put in there, but, but so yeah, we had supplies with us and then some food caches along the way, but we were pretty hungry (laughs) most of the time and pretty cold, but that was a pretty cool expedition. I mean, but it's, it's kind of funny because I'm, I've always been afraid of water. My mom can attest to that is that I never wanted to go swimming as a kid. I was afraid to jump in the pool. Like water has always scared me. And I also never liked mountain biking when I was doing adventure racing. It was my worst sport. Like, so it's kind of interesting of like, I've ended up putting myself in really scary situations in mediums that are not natural for me and don't come naturally like cycling or whitewater. Um, and I've learned a lot from that, but it's, yeah, I, I, I didn't really put that together until just now of like, oh yeah, I never really liked water or cycling <laughs> and here I am. I mean, that was one of my questions, like why the bike? I mean, clearly you, you could have been a successful athlete and I think anything you chose, like how, how did your, how did the bike become your emphasis? The bike became my emphasis. I was doing, um, multi-sport. So I was doing these adventure races that have like some cycling, but navigation and paddling and running and horse riding sometimes and all sorts of stuff. And when that sort of, that sort of dried up, um, you know, I had, I had one year left in a Red Bull contract and Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, you know, I'm going to have to get a real job now. And this was in my thirties and they just said, well, you know, you've got one more year, just find something to do. We're not going to take the money back. And so I went searching for you know, I don't feel like I'm excel at any one sport, but I knew I could go for a long time. Like I could go for five days. Mm -hmm. And so I, the longest thing I could find at the time was 24 hour mountain bike racing. And I was like, 24 hours, that's super short. And I'm like, well, I'm really bad at riding a bike, Mm -hmm. but I can go for 24 hours. And so, um, my now husband, um, he was doing 24 hour solo racing. And so I went to Moab with some girlfriends here from Idaho. And we went to do the 24 hours of Moab as a team. And we entered like expert division and our team name was catch them if you can. And it was just like this fun girls trip. And like, literally I had to run all the technical sections of the course because I was a lousy 
cyclists. Um, but I ended up having the fastest women's time lap times of the whole race. And so I was like, and my husband, Greg, he's was, he was crewing for us. Um, he's like, you should think about doing these solo. And I was like, yeah, 24 hours, not that. And as long as I could run the hard parts, that's fine. <laughs> so I'd run the hard parts and I'd like hammer, 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 but I had the endurance figured out. So I didn't have the sport figured out, but I had the endurance. And so the first 24 hour mountain bike race I did, which was in Spokane, yeah. um, round and round or something like that. And Greg mm -hmm. crewed for me and I ended up winning the race overall. Like it beat all the men, I beat everybody. And so then it was, that was like, okay, maybe I'll do this for one more year. Maybe I'll do this for another year. And that really launched, um, you know, the whole second half of my professional sports career that has really taken off. And it was kind of this thing that I don't know. It was, I, I looked, for, it was like the worst thing I was, was a cyclist, but the best thing I was is I had endurance and I, I had that dialed. And so I combined my best and my worst things. And this is what happened. No kidding. <laughs> the bike's taking you places it is and now it's become my main my main sort of tool um because it's such a great vehicle for ex exploration and seeing places and going further than mm -hmm. you could on foot and it's you know I was a rock climber originally at heart that was like my first love you know first a runner then a rock climber but rock climbing was really my my love and I, I still love it but the bike has become just the gateway, um, and a tool to be able to do so much and, and find community and connect with family. And it's become a career and all those things that you are experiencing right now too. Yeah, what's it like to bring people to Rebecca, to Rebecca's private item? You have a race named after you. Like, is that kind of like, what was it like? It feels good to give back. I mean, my, I launched this event nine, this will be year number nine. And I launched this event for a few reasons. Um, one, when I travel, people will be like Iowa, you know, where, where do you live? And I, I wanted to support my community. I wanted to support some cycling nonprofits that I cared about. Um, but I didn't have a lot of money, as you said, like athletes, female cycling athletes don't make a lot of money. And I'm like, but I have a beautiful place and I know all these cool trails and things. And so I launched the event really to, to show people the back country and to show people um, a place in hopes that they would kind of find their own quest and push themselves um, physically, but also, you know, when you experience a place and fall in love with it, you want to protect it and you want to take care of it. And so it was partially selfishly. I wanted to show people nature so that we would take care of it. And, you know, my foundation has now been launched off, off of this mm -hmm. event, the Be Good Foundation. And so I don't think of the event as my event. I mean, it is, but I, I see my position as I have a responsibility to use the gifts I've been given and to use my platform to do good and to do mm -hmm. more than just give myself a pat on the back. So it is kind of funny. Yeah. It's my race. I named it. I started it. I did the courses. It's really fun, but mostly I just want to invite people and have a big bike party and, and celebrate, you know, people purpose place is what mm -hmm. RPI is about. And 
my hope is that people come here, they get a little taste of that, of me, of my energy, of the energy here. And then they take that home and spread it around. <laughs> so it, it's really exciting. I mean, I, I, to see people finish private Idaho and there's tears in their eyes and like, they've had a big journey. Um, that's as rewarding to me as any world championship or any more rewarding than anything I've done by myself. Hundred um, <laughs> percent. I I know a lot of us are really excited to get to come share in your little your hometown and um, those Galena trails are some of the most fun trails anywhere. It's a pretty but, good spot. And, oh, but what I love is people will go home and then they find their spot. They find and this is what's been a blessing with you know the pandemic and people staying home is that everyone's finding their own little home trails and you know when i was developing the courses for private idaho and even now there i've lived here 20 years and there's stuff i've never ridden or and i was finding places that were like oh my gosh like i didn't know this was here and i just did a ride a couple of days ago that like i looked on a map and figured it out and was like i wonder if this connects and so I do want to encourage people, whether you can come to Idaho or Montana or not, um, there is some place in your backyard to go exploring on your bike and, and it's there. You just mm -hmm. have to like pull up your computer or a paper map and start dreaming and then, and then go out and, and check it out. And that's what I love about cycling is, is you really can find adventure anywhere, no matter where you live. Yeah. I, what you said, <laughs> what she said, and people ask me what be good. I mean, it's it's all encompassing of being good to myself, the environment, to the world around me, to make a difference, sure. to contribute. And I don't think I'm unique in having that kind of a priority, but I would say, I love that you asked that question of your clients and your patients, because what I have found that is that people don't articulate what they stand for, or they don't necessarily have, um, a mission statement, a personal mission statement, and every business, every company will have a value and mission statement, yes. but people don't do that for themselves. And I, I went through that exercise after I came back from riding blood road and the Ho Chi Minh trail, like, what do I stand for? And we all asked that question, but I kind of went through like this business exercise of writing down my personal, what I call my navigational handrails, and my, basically my compass, what do I stand for? Where am I going? What is this all about? And, and I wrote all that down and it's really helped guide me when, and that's where be good came from. And it's helped guide me when I'm kind of like, I don't know what I'm doing. It's like, and none of us do, we don't have a trail map, um, but you can have navigational handrails and a compass and kind of a bearing at least. Ooh. So if anyone listening to our conversation hasn't sort of gone through the exercise of writing down what you stand for and your priorities and how you're going to get there. Um, it's definitely a worthy exercise to do. I a hundred percent agree. I think it's, <laughs> it's, it's really hard to say what your priorities are. Cause all of a yeah. sudden it's like this, an e what sounds like an easy question, like it's a really short question, but all of a sudden it's just like, Whoa, it's am I, am I living my priorities? Have I, yeah. I made decisions that support that? Or am I, um, I mean, I love it when people tell me I don't have time. Well, I ask you like, well, what's, what is your priority? Like, what will you make time for? Is mm -hmm. it, what is it? And so how can we, how, how can I help people make themselves a priority in that list? And um, that's, that's often what it is. It's, it's, it's way more meaningful, I think. And um, I love to ask it because it makes me question what my priorities are and if I'm living that. Yeah. And they change. The answer is probably going to change maybe from week to week, month to month, year to year. 
I do find a lot of people when they say, I don't have time. And I do the same. We end up prioritizing others and other things before ourselves. And we leave ourselves last, (laughs) which is kind of like the reverse. But if you put yourself first, you're actually going to do better at your job and that thing and your family and the other, you're going to show up um, a little more prepared if you put yourself first, but it feels selfish um, in the moment to be like, I'm going to go for a ride, but you're going to come back like a better version of yourself instead of being grumpy and, you know, being all crabby around the people and putting off bad energy, you're going to end up putting off good energy for, for everyone around you. A hundred percent agree. Like, like, how do you find, how did you build your support system so that you could live your priorities? Like, like who's a part of that for you? You know, I'm still working on, on how to, how to build the support system, but really for me, I mean, my husband, Greg is, is my rock and he, he and I, you know, we raced, I did a rod together. We raced 24 hour racing together. You know, he's, he's a great cyclist and a great athlete and he, we're sort of, um, a very good complement to each other. So he's, he's, he's my guy. He's really helped me. Um, my dogs, my garden, like it's the earth, you know, the bike. Um, but it's an ever changing process of, of figuring out how to build a support system. I, I think during the pandemic, people have really, and me included, really um, crystallized the relationships that are important or the things where we want to spend our time the most. Um, and some of the distraction has sort of maybe fallen away, hopefully for some of us to, you know, one of my navigational handrails is less equals more and that piling more and more things onto our plate. And that's something that I'm learning now. I have a lot of cool opportunities Mm -hmm. and things I want to do, but I can't do them all. And so learning to say no to some of them has been really a hard lesson. (laughs) Right. But probably empowering, right? Like being able to like say no to something is probably the most powerful thing you can do. I think our next meeting needs to be with a deep dish Chicago style pizza. Can we do that? Giordano's or Lou Malnati's? Oh, Giordano's. This Uh is the first thing that we're going (laughs) to not Okay. Okay. Well then let's, let's go to Luminati's and then we'll have, we'll just, we'll 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 get two pieces, two two pieces and then we can, um, yeah, let's do a taste test. I love it. It's a deal. That's our next date. I love it. Well, um, uh, I'm sure you've got next projects to get onto. I got to go. Um, somebody's got a new knee next to people that I have to go help them move. Um, so Meg, it's been so fun to talk to you, (laughs) get to know you. It's a privilege. Um, (laughs) Uh, yeah. Thank you for paving the way for women in sport. Um, the, the hard work that you've put forth is, you know, a, a path that I'm following and trying to also make the path a little more wider beaten in for the people who follow me. So, um, thanks for bushwhacking. I, I don't mind bushwhacking anytime. Thanks for clearing the rest of the trail for everyone else coming up. Uh, You're awesome. Sure. <laughs> Be good. Uh, you too. Until next time. <laughs> Until Idaho. Yeah, I'll see you in Idaho.